Welcome to Scale School, my friends. I'm Dan Bolton, and my purpose here is simple. I wanna help you increase the scalability of your coaching or consulting business so as it gets bigger, life gets better. Here we will be talking everything from getting clients, keeping clients, teams, leadership, but most importantly, making scaling simple and fun again. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you get a ton out of today's episode. Dan, thanks for coming on, dude. So Dan and I have done a bit of work together over the last eight months, since about Feb. We've done kind of different bits and pieces. Um, he's he's helped me work through um, a bit of a mid-year slump. It was a phase I'd never kind of been through before where I was just lacking a bit of clarity and, and lacking excitement and was just you know trying to figure out where it was all kind of going. So Dan's been super valuable to have as a as a sounding board. And and I wanted to bring him in for a couple of reasons. One, he's got a heap of really interesting insights. Um, two, I think what's really interesting about Dan's story is that you see out in the market people talking about, you know, scaling up to 300, 400, 500 thousand, a million bucks a month, all these, all these big numbers. Um, and, and the number gets put on a pedestal without much conversation around what life looks like at that level. And I mean, I've been involved in big, big, big business and I've seen how hectic it gets. And, and, and so Dan's an interesting case of someone who has scaled back from 300 and something a month, but Dan, to kind of, to kind of kick off, do you want to give folks like the, you know, three minute, who is, who is Dan Bolton? story. Of course. Honored to be here. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Got multiple microphones. Want to make sure the right one's coming through. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, we did color coordinate ahead of time. We just thought it'd be that much more powerful that if we were wearing a similar shade of green, um, it's like an NLP technique. Don't worry about it. Um, No. Uh, so it is, it is really honored to be here. I've loved working with Jacob. We actually met um last year when I did like this kind of paid workshoppy thing and he came on and he didn't hate it all that much. And I mean, I'm working together and it's been really, really cool. So honored to be here. Um, so background for me, uh, my accent at this point is very hybrid. Um, I'm mistaken for everything from an Aussie to a Kiwi to a European. Uh, I've just, I've spent basically all my life living in New Zealand, but since I was 15, listening to about two hours a day of American speak. And so at this point, I'm a bit of a mutt uh, accent wise, but I grew up in New Zealand, grew up uh, with my mum. Dad wasn't in the picture. Um, when I got to 16, I dropped out of high school. Fun fact, uh, not many people know about me. It's a pretty hilarious one. At 16 years old, I was a virgin, but I somehow got the job as a sex ed teacher. And so I was the youngest sex ed teacher in the country. So I would go to different schools and speak to people a couple of years younger than me about life choices and porn and sex and things like that. And so I, I started speaking publicly uh, when I was 16. And then when I was 18, uh, I hadn't grown up in church, but I found kind of my way there uh, through a mentor when I was in my teenage years. And at 17, I helped plant a church in a place called Rotorua, uh, Rotorua in, uh, in uh, New Zealand. And then when I was 18, I ended up at a church and they started saying things like, hey, Dan, you know, we're looking for a youth pastor. Do you happen to know anyone who might be the right fit? And at that point, I'd spent most of my teenage years living way too seriously while my friends were hanging out with each other and going to school. I was working jobs and speaking in schools and things like that. And so I was ready to kind of lean into my 18 year old year. And uh, so I was not interested at all, but as fate would have it, as intuition would kind of speak strongly in my life, I realized that this opportunity is for me. And so from 18 to uh, 28 years old to just shy of a decade, uh, I was a youth and young adults pastor at a church in New Zealand. And uh, that was wild. Uh, when I started there, the church had about 50 people there on a Sunday. 
When I finished, we had about 1,500 people on a Sunday. I was overseeing about six to 700 people. So a lot of skills uh, built during that time. Uh, one theme of that time, though, I was incredibly broke. So I think I peaked out at making about $13 US an hour. So I was working 60. And, and that's, 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 uh, that would be me not being conservative. That would be me being conservative, meaning like I was working way more hours than what I was getting paid, if that makes sense. And so uh, in 2018, you will all be familiar with probably Ty Lopez. Um, there were internet ads around my newsfeed talking about this opportunity of social media marketing agencies. And so I saw Ty Lopez. I saw Sam Ovens. Later, I saw Iman Gadzi. And so in 2018, April 2018, I started an everything for everyone agency. My first five clients was I was coaching a real estate agent on how to use social media to get clients. I was uh, working with a personal trainer, helping take his business online. I was managing the social media for a grocery store. I was running ads for a vehicle financing place. And I was building a website for a construction business. And I had really no skills in any of those departments. I was staying one step ahead of all of those clients, just going through these courses that I'd that I'd put on a credit card to pay for. And so that was the first iteration of business in April, 2018. And then kind of fast forward uh, six months, I did the typical guru path. I had lots of friends and people from school asking me how I was making this money online. People thought I was doing drug dealing or a pyramid scheme. And some people were like, you know, Maybe this guy can teach me a thing or two. So I launched in January, 2019, uh, this uh, program called the Six Figure Side Hustle, helping people get to six figures as a side hustle, running simple ads for local businesses. And that got to about 20 to 30K a month. And two really important things happened during that time. One was I discovered Facebook groups. So Facebook groups, that was the whole way I got clients. I ran an ad to the group. In the group, there was a VSL. And then after the VSL, I asked people to message me. And so that was when I started selling by chat in January, 2019 and started using a Facebook group to get clients. But I was up and down revenue wise because I was selling thousand uh, dollar programs. So some days I'd make three sales, next day I'd make none. And I was riding that revenue roller coaster. And so in June of 2019, uh, crazy kind of life situation happened. We moved countries twice in, in 16 weeks. It was expensive. We ended up in debt. It was a very tough time. And so I was like, right, I need something recurring. I need something stable. So I relaunched an agency again. But this time I focused in on coaches who wanted more calls and our kind of mechanism became um, webinars. So we started an agency and that scaled from zero to 100K a month in nine months uh, because we became really good at one thing. So if you're an e-commerce business, we love you. We didn't help you. If you're a coach that sold a low ticket, we didn't help you. If you were doing challenges, we didn't help you. We only helped coaches get calls through webinars. Fast forward a year, business is doing about 120, 130,000 a month. Life is good. COVID hits. Life is still good. We managed to kind of navigate our clients through that without losing any. Uh, everything is all well and, and dandy. And then in June of 2020, someone on our team does not have two-factor authentication on. And if you uh, know anything about ad accounts and things like that, it's incredibly important to have the tightest of securities, but this our team member did not. My fault, should have told him. And um, we had someone from Vietnam uh, hack through his profile and he got into every single client ad account. And the, you got to laugh at this because ad accounts were getting shut down left, right, and center. He was spending like, the, the hacker was spending $3,000 a day on these ad accounts, right? It was insane. But the funniest part was they were running video ads to knock off Calvin Klein's. So it was the most inefficient ads I've ever seen, spending thousands of dollars to get video views with just these beautiful women holding up like fake Calvin Klein's. 
But what happened over the next 30 days was we, uh, between having to reimburse clients' ad spend because Facebook only covered partial part of it for some clients, ad accounts being shut down and us losing clients, ad accounts being shut down and us having to credit clients each day for their billing cycle, it was shut down. It cost me $100,000 cash. And it was in that moment, I had to really reflect on my life decisions and life choices and where my business was at that time and go like, do I really care enough about this model and what I'm doing to continue on with this and kind of push past this? And at that point, I decided I really was not interested in the agency space. And in fact, if we flash back to April of 2018, I already knew that. I remember writing down in my journal, I don't want to build a seven-figure agency. I want to coach people and create stuff. But I didn't listen to myself and I built this big business. And so here I was in 2020 uh, launching this program. So the program, we launched it at first iteration. It was called the Run Ads Make Money Club um, because it was literally us teaching our agency strategies to coaches who couldn't afford an agency, teaching them to run ads. Then we had cl uh, clients working with us who shouldn't be running ads and they had bad messaging and bad offers. So then the offer built out and it became more of like a, well-rounded offer for coaches. And long story short, we took that offer from zero to hitting a $347,000 cash month 16 months later. So this is the end of 2021. And what, how I would characterize that time was it was just non-stop stress and intensity. So I was getting the ClickFunnels awards and things like that. And you know we're making a tremendous amount of money and I bought the Tesla and bought the house and felt fantastic. But inside things were not going well, right? I remember one fateful day, I was on back to back to back Zoom calls, coaching team members, running sales huddles on sales calls, uh, running trainings for clients. And I ended up peeing in a bottle mid Zoom call. And I don't know if you can like think back to low moments in your business. That was a particularly low moment for me. And that was what led me to really question everything about what I was doing. I was I was trying to be someone I wasn't at that time. I was living up to the expectations of others. I was building someone else's version of success. And I'd really stop listening to that internal guidance voice inside myself. And so over the next kind of 12 months into 2022, I went from a team of uh, 13 to a team of four. In 2021, we did 2 million cash collected. In 2022, we did 2 million cash collected, but I went from 50 hours a week of work to 10 hours a week of work from a team of 13 to a team of four. And it basically made me question everything I knew about business because I was working way less. I'd simplified everything. I was making way more. Happiness was up and so on and so forth. And that led me into this year where I realized I was almost at the business I wanted, but I wasn't quite there. And so I ended up laying off all the team except for me and a virtual assistant. And basically this year, I've done a mix of one-to-one -one consulting and launching a group program. And I work kind of, you know, 15 hours-ish a week on track for a million dollars profit, uh, US take-home, that is a post-tax this year. Um, and it's made me rethink everything I knew about kind of what I learned in all that bro scaling stage of getting the big months, building the sales teams. You know, I have no sales calls, people pre-sold through content, all of that kind of stuff. So Jacob, hoping uh, that kind of gave you something to at least move through in a conversation, but that's kind of a bit of context life story-wise and business-wise of how I came to be here. Yeah. No, that's that that encapsulates it very well. I feel like you've might have told that story one or two times before. <laughs> it's very efficient at this point. I like it. Um, no, that's great. Yeah. So so folks, hopefully that kind of gives you some perspective on why I thought, you know, Dan would be um someone valuable to hear from because he's gone, you know, all the way up to the the three hundred K and then and then kind of come back down to, you know, the way that we do things and 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 is prioritizing you know leverage and and um, free time and being able to hang out with his his kids and his wife. Can you talk for a little minute on so when I when I jumped into your whatever the old program was called, 
um, scalability. Scale Academy. Scale, Scale Academy. Academy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had to. I had to think there for a second as well. Yeah. The thing that got me was very little to do with strategy. Um, well, that's maybe that's wrong. Very little to do with stuff that people would typically think sells. Mm-hmm. What got me was one: you have kids, and mm-hmm. I was about to have a kid, and for whatever reason, that created a little nexus in my brain of pay attention. The second thing was the travel with kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, for for anyone that's gone through, you know, a, a pregnancy. Not that I personally went through it, but <laughs> did. we like to take credit as dads, as though we did. Yeah. But what typically the happens and the is, mood swings. Yeah, yeah. But we cop it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. What typically happens is all, all, all of your friends who, I mean, this is what I experienced anyway, all of your friends who have already had kids, they're like, oh, you know, enjoy it now because when the kid comes, life's never going to be the same and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, fuck, I'm never going to get to travel again. I'm not going to get to go out to restaurants anymore. And I'm like, oh, you know, like all the shit that I want to do is like, it's going to change, which now that I'm there, I don't think that's going to be the case at all. I think it's only going to make it more fun. But I saw you'd, you know, spent all this time traveling with your family, still making money and you did it all with the kids. That was what got me. Can you talk about whatever it is that sits behind that in your opinion? Yeah, I know I know the answer, but- Yeah, yeah, totally. So- this is a really important thing. Let, let's just uh, break down what could be an elephant in the room whenever we are um, working in this industry, right? So not only are Jacob and I wearing similar things, right? Totally coordinated. Um, we sell a, a similar offer, right? We talk about similar things. We think recurring revenue is great. We think working a lot of hours is stupid. We think selling via sales calls is optional, but not necessary. And so we can talk about a lot of the same things. And a scarcity-minded uh, person goes, oh, there's not enough room for two of us doing similar things with a similar offer. And and right now for you, you probably have people in your space that do something similar to you. And oftentimes what we then try to do is we just try and look better than the competition, which is typically a really stupid strategy because we are likely not the best person in our space. I, I totally believe you're amazing at what you do. But chances are there's someone who's better, uh, bigger, been around for longer, got more runs on the board. And there's this phrase that I heard recently by a guy called Kevin Kelly that summarizes uh, kind of what Jacob's talking about here when it comes to why people should buy from us or, or the best way to position ourselves is that we do not want to be the best. We want to be the only. Do not want to be the best, we want to be the only. And it comes down to this idea that I've learned over the last few years, which is that people don't just buy what you do. They buy who you are. A great friend of mine, Taki Moore, says it like this. He says, people don't buy coaching. They buy coaches. And so you can have a similar offer to someone else, but if you lead with authenticity and you bring your values and your beliefs and your personality to the forefront, whether it's travel, whatever it's hobbies, whether for Jacob, it's wine and things like that, that actually communicates at a different level to if you were to just talk about marketing from the perspective of you have a problem and I have a solution, you should buy what I have. We, we can typically talk at three levels, okay? Number one is we talk to people's aspirations. Very key. We don't just want to speak to the result that people want to achieve. We want to speak to the person they are trying to become. That's so key, right? So whenever you're uh, creating a marketing message, you want to make it as personal as possible to understand that the person does not just want a better result. They want a better version of themselves. This is easy to understand in the world of weight loss. People don't just want to lose 10 kilos. They want the version of themselves that is 10 kilos lighter, which is different. That person wakes out of uh, wakes up in the morning feeling different. They get out of bed feeling different. They interact with their spouse in a different way. They 
uh, attack life's challenges with a new level of energy and vibrancy because they're 10 kilos lighter, not just on the scale, but the effect that it has on their life is real. So that's number one is aspirations. Number two is we need to speak to people's beliefs. And really specifically around this, we need to learn to shift beliefs, right? So there are beliefs that people have to have aligned with yours in order for a sale to be made. So when I was selling a Facebook group system, because that was what got me a lot of money in, in 2019, it's what we use with our clients in 2020 and so on and so forth. I had to get people to believe that Facebook groups was the best way to get clients. So the idea of pre-selling people right? You're in Jacob's world because you're wanting to learn how to sell without sales calls. The goal of pre-selling people is to shift beliefs in alignment to where they believe what you believe when it comes to your worldview and your way of approaching business or life. And then the third thing is this, we need to communicate our values, right? So like, this is a key thing that I think Jacob's kind of alluding to is that we ended up working together, not because I had the solution to his problem and I was the only person who had that solution. There's plenty of people out there that say, hey, I'm going to help you grow your business and make it simpler and blah, blah, blah. But the values were aligned. And so right now I have a 90% renewal rate on all of my one-to-one coaching. And my one-to-one coaching is not cheap. The key though is not just that I'm a good coach and that I've stacked thousands of hours in coaching. It's that I attract people and retain people who have a similar value set to me. And so I know that's more maybe teachy than what you're looking for, Jacob, in terms of like the simple, like kind of canned answer. Mm. But but I would say like, that's been my experience. And like, how do you stand out? How do you position yourself? How do you attract like perfect fit clients? It's understanding we need to communicate at three levels, aspirations, beliefs, and values. And when you realize that marketing is so much deeper than just like, I have a solution, you have a problem, and we can actually get people to buy into who we are, not just what we do. We create a category of one where I delusionally believe I have no competitors on the planet because I'm Dan Bolton. I'm the only dude who grew up in a single mother household, dropped out of high school at 16, became a sex ed teacher at 16, became a youth pastor at 18, and have had the exact journey that I've had. And when I maximize sharing the experiences and sharing the story and sharing the journey, and I really lean into my personality traits and I lean into who I am, uh, not who I'm pretending to be, I attract people who resonate with that. As opposed to how most coaches and consultants talk, which is they come across as smart, but boring. Their content is chat GPT-esque, right? They're just dropping out the five steps to the 10 steps to the three biggest mistakes without realizing that the real power and the real connection comes from authentically leaning into who you are rather than just sharing what you know. Yeah, amazing. Exactly what I was hoping you'd say. Um, so we talk about pre-selling in terms of like two two buckets. There's there's many more, but we try to simplify it down to two buckets. One is pre-selling people on you and, one, and the other is pre-selling people on what you do and how you do it. So specifically what Dan's talking about here is the you, right? <laughs> it's like they're going to be, if they're, if they're sold on, um, your your method, for example, but there's that lack of alignment and connection to the person, you're still going to get static. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, they might be super connected to you, but again, if if there's no clarity around the the method or the mechanism or the approach, um, you'll you'll probably still get people that want to pay you if that connection is strong enough. Um, yeah. But they may not be the people you want to work with because they're just there for proximity and and may not actually you know do the shit you want them to do. Um, so it depends if you actually want that person as a client or not. Um, so what Dan's talking about there is that is that you bucket um, and and going you know as deep as as deep as possible. Can yeah, I speak to that for a second? Hundred percent. Yeah. So there's a book uh, by a super controversial figure called Jordan Belfort, The Wolf of Wall Street, and he has uh, the book's called The Way of the Wolf. And I haven't read the whole book, but there was a concept in there that's really stuck with me. And he talk, it's the concept of three tens. And I'll rehash it in my own words in terms of how I interpreted it. 
in order for a sale to be made, there needs to be three tens aligned for someone to be all in and say yes. The first 10, zero through 10, zero being no trust, 10 being full trust. How much does this person trust you? Right. So that's that's the first thing that you need to get knocked out is like, and obviously if you've got a salesperson, that also comes into play. But zero through 10, how much do they trust you? That's the first like uh spectrum of certainty. The second one is zero through 10. How much do they trust that this is the method, mechanism, process they need to get the results that they're after, right? So Facebook groups, weight loss, ketogenic diet, whatever it is that you sell, that method, that mechanism, people need to be 10 out of 10 in terms of the likelihood that they think this is the thing that they need. The last 10 is on the program and the offer. Zero, they don't trust this is what they need. 10, they, they trust what you need. So this is how most people sell. They market a little, they generate a lead, they get a call booked, they jump on a call, and now they have to get all tens on that call in alignment so the sale is made. Here is how we sell without calls. You get people to trust you. You get people to trust your mechanism. And then the sale around the offer is just around whether this offer is right for them. They already trust you. They already think that what you talk about in your mechanism and your process is aligned with them. Now the sale is easy because the sale is truly now around what you offer, not around who you are and your worldview around business or life. And I just think that's such a powerful framework to think about. There's three buckets. We need to get three yeses. Most people make life so hard for themselves because all three yeses have to come through on one sales call. And that's why most people have low sales conversion rates and why most people have lots of follow-ups and why most people make not much money. The best way to structure your business is to create content that pre-sells people on you and your mechanism. So then the last yes is the offer doc that you send over or the sales call that becomes incredibly easy because now you just have one yes to get instead of three. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. That's great. A um, couple of questions that popped up. We might touch on those quickly. Uh, Nate said, if you had to acclimate your audience to go from, say, a $1,500 offer. <clears throat> yeah. So basically, my question would just be, how would you, if you had to like come up with a game plan of attack for acclimating your audience to invest in bigger priced products, what would be like your, your go-to? Say, if you run like a continuity program, that's like $1,000. You have like one-off evergreen offers that are like $1,500. Uh, obviously, I know you can't give like actual tangible things, but like just some nuances as far as raising prices, because I know uh, you talk about working with less and less clients. So obviously, naturally, the price has to increase. So mm -hmm. uh, what would be the... the yeah, so how I think about price? pricing. So firstly, pricing is like weird because there are industry norms, right? And so for example, if you were to uh, jump out and sell a 12-week $5,800 program, that's an industry norm, right? I have clients, like I just had a client a couple of days ago... Uh, she just sold a $50,000, uh, $55,000 pay in full. She's also sold $120,000 pay in fulls. And it, even when I hear that, it breaks my brain. But last year, I was able to get a client and sell a $100,000 deal within 24 hours of like having this idea, I needed to make some money. Uh, and so I came up with this idea, I put this package together and it was $100,000, 50,000 collected that day, 50,000 collected 30 days later. So what I've realized is that price is so elastic. So there's not a right price and a wrong price. How I think about it is reality and perception, okay? So if you read a $100 million offers by Hormozy, the wrong way to think about it is it's a marketing book. The right way to think about it is it's a it's a book on how to make your product really, really good. And most people just tried to make their average product sound really good by adding a guarantee. And they basically made it a chocolate covered turd, right? So they did no improvements. And then all of all of all they're trying to do is make it sound really amazing. And obviously we know uh, in the dating world that's called catfishing, right? Coaches and consultants are amazing at it. We're professional catfishers. And so how I think about it is firstly reality. How do I improve the value of what I give so that it's actually good, right? And, and that's obviously subjective. 
but you want to look at objective things as well. Like what do I need to add in so that most people, if they would apply it and do it actually win, right? So you want to look at the reality piece before you raise prices and go, what would I need to do to make it worth the price I want to charge based on the actual reality, not how it sounds, not how I can make it sound, but, but the reality, the improvement of the offer, the support, the content, the community, the culture, all of those pieces. Once you have a great offer that you're proud of, then it's about perception. And so here's what's really interesting. You can have both problems. You can have a program that sounds amazing, that's really bad. And you can have a problem that's amazing, that sounds really bad, right? And so what you really want to get good at is marrying reality and perception to such where your program is so good that the easiest marketing is you just talking about what you have. And so when you're thinking about raising prices, it's not some arbitrary, like, where can I push my price? Of course, if your program's already amazing, you can incrementally increase it. But the thing that's going to take you from 1500 to 3K to 5K to 10K and so on is when you take quantum leaps in the reality of the program being much better. And so how I would think about it is right now, do you have a reality gap where you actually need to make the program and offer better? Or do you have a perception gap where it's already worth more than you're charging and you need to do a better job at capturing that value in your marketing? Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Cool. Appreciate it. You're welcome. And yes, the mic was muted when I peed into a Zoom uh, on a, in a bottle in a Zoom call. <laughs> well, me, well, the funny part is we had, I think Jacob was on with us, but me and Jamie ran like a JV uh, where we did a uh, promotion together and someone jumped in on the Zoom call and didn't mic mute their mic. And that's how they joined the Zoom. We're just... That is amazing. <laughs> Another question from JG. I'm still on the call booking pathway for the time being. If I'm booking them, it's efficient and I can knock them out okay. Every time I go to outsource them, there's a trust disconnect with the audience and they're not being booked. Any thoughts yep. on how to deepen that trust with the audience and the setup? So that's that's in the DMs trying <laughs> to book the call, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. so... Oh, sorry. I uh, was just going to say, just for context, um, yeah, I've just basically got some automated software that is sent from my my setter's account type stuff, but there's just, yeah, there's a, clearly a disconnect mm -hmm. there somewhere. Yep, totally. Can totally answer this. So, so Jacob and I are completely guilty of demonizing sales calls. And here's what's really important to know about sales calls. They are a really great way to make money. Now, what I'm what I will demonize all day is you if your funnel has you having a lot of calls no show and having a lot of calls not buying, it's just inefficient. So if you are taking calls, you want to be jumping on with people who are red hot ready to buy. That does not mean they have credit card in hand, but it does mean the first two tens are in alignment, full spectrum, yes. They're pre-sold on you. They're pre-sold on the mechanism. And so when you when you do that, it makes sales calls better because now you're jumping on sales calls. You're not having to convince anyone of anything. You're not coaching people. You're not educating people. The conversation is truly about where are you? Where do you want to go? Do we feel like this offer is the right thing to take you from here to there? It becomes way easier and you can scale a really good business with sales calls. Eventually you might not want to, but it's still a great kind of short-term solution. So what's really important to think about is firstly, Content ecosystem is really key. And I found this really interesting because I um, did work with Hormozy in 2021 and I worked really closely with Sam Ovens for a few years and both of them thought content was the stupidest thing ever. They demonized it to a point where all I did for years was just create a funnel. And even when I had a Facebook group, all the focus was, was to create the least amount of content possible to create some context so we could get our setters to book calls and our closers to close people. Obviously, both of those guys evolved in their thinking understanding the power of content, especially in a sea of people who look and sound like us, 
content differentiates us to a point where people can get to know us in a really, really powerful way. So right now, like my little YouTube channel that just hit a thousand subscribers, I'm, I'm like freaking out here trying to chase down Mr. Beast, you know, one subscriber at a time is um, crushing it and printing money because I'm having around 800 watch hours a month. Now, again, that's that's still really small. Like I had breakfast this week with a YouTuber, you would probably all know. Uh, he's got 2 million subscribers, super engaged audience. And so his numbers would just make mine look like freaking, it'd be the, the stupidest comparison ever. But when you look at it from the perspective of my little audience, it's either 800 people watching one hour of my content or 400 people watching two hours, but people are binging my stuff. So before I send them a document, or if I was to book a call before I would take the call, they're already pre-sold in so many ways because they've gone down the YouTube and content rabbit hole. And so content is a really, really big key that if you're not focusing heavily on it, I would I would focus on it. And my two uh, frames for this, we can talk about content if, if Jacob wants to take us there. But my two frames for this is, is, firstly, is someone consuming your content and thinking, I can't believe they're giving this away for free. That's number one, is that if all we're doing is creating surface level stuff, there's like a picture of us with the chicken, which is kind of the kind of content I post every now and then. And then there's a picture of like the three steps to how to, but it's really surface level chat GPT stuff. And we're never going deeper and actually truly really providing value, it's really hard to create that sense of connection because connection is based through reciprocity, right? It's created by goodwill and the goodwill is created by you giving without asking. And so is your content so good and not all of it, not every post, but a lot of it so good that people think I can't believe this is given away for free. And then number two, is it save worthy, share worthy or revisit worthy? Like, is it so helpful and valuable that people would actually want to circle back and um, check it out? So on Instagram, you can literally check how many people bookmark to post, for example, right? But these are the things you want to be thinking about when it comes to content, because that's the key that makes sales easier. You can either really emphasize your marketing which makes sales easier, or you have to, in lieu of uh, low or bad marketing, you have to really emphasize sales. You've got to have insane follow-ups. You've got to hit crazy numbers every day. You've got to follow people up and be consistent and persistent like crazy, or you can just have really good marketing. Number two is really about orchestrating everything from cold to sold, okay? So when you're dealing with someone in the DMs, for example, you want to orchestrate that and choreograph that so that it's consistent and predictable every single time. So you want to make sure that the setting script is really, really straightforward forward. It builds connection. It books calls. It create, you know, we identify where someone's at, where they want to get to, et cetera. One of the things that I found is so key to really increase the connection pre-sales call is to send a pre-call video. So in between booking and the call, sending a video that tackles the first two tens, you and your mechanism. So I can share an example of uh, mine. Jacob, would you mind if I shared an example of what's worked for me? This is an example here. I did like, we call it like the micro webinar right? This is on YouTube. And um, it's a screen sherry type one. You know, I go through, it's 26 minutes long. I think it could be even shorter. I go through some of my journey. I go through the model. I go through exactly, I have obviously a unique business like Jacob, where we are so meta, we do what we teach. So the best case study sometimes is just ourselves. And then I just go through this step-by-step step, and the last minute is talking about my offer. And I don't go into offer details. I just say there is an offer. If you want to find out more, send me a message. And so this is an example of something that you can send pre-call. So either it's a video that generates leads or it's a video that nurtures leads. But when we were scaling our sales team, we would not let anyone jump on a call with us who hadn't watched the pre-call video. And so I just dropped the link in the chat for you guys who want to see an example of that. And so you just frame it really importantly in the handoff between set and close, where you say like, hey, I'm sending over a video. You feel free to watch it on 2X speed. But it's really important that you watch it 
So you get more context around who I am and kind of what we do. So come to the call with questions because we want to make this call as helpful and as valuable for you as possible. And then you send that in, in Messenger and then you send that on email. And that's another really key piece to kind of warm that up and create that sense of connection. That's awesome. Thank you very much. You're welcome, brother. Awesome. Uh, one from Cass. You mentioned running an ad agency. What's your advice to someone who wants to get into the ad game? Um, so Cass is pretty big on like short form video at the moment. Um, that's kind of her main approach. Um, and she's yeah. super busy because she's got two little twins and wants to get some more attention without having to make more videos. So that's a bit of context around Cass. Oh, sorry. So let me just quickly re-clarify the question. So it's not about her wanting to start an ad agency. No, 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 it's no. wanting her to start ads. Run, run at, run, start running ads. Yeah. Gotcha. Because I was just going to say like, don't do don't, it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> now, ad agencies are great. They just, they come with their own unique challenges. If I was to start an agency today, I would start a content agency 100%. Uh, ad game. So so Cass, feel free to drop any more context in the chat. Um, But uh, yeah, ad account disabled. That's a, a challenge. Um, if Jacob, if you remind me, I can send a SOP that we have around how to get ad accounts back. It doesn't work every time, but it will oh, be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, we've got that. We've got how to set up your business manager, all that from all of our ad account days. Yeah, so yeah. ads are interesting. I run occasionally retargeting ads outside of testing uh, strategies for clients where you can grow your Instagram and things like that. I do not like for the average person creating a business where you become reliant on ads. I think it's insane the traction you can get organically when you focus on lead efficiency. Most coaches create funnels where leads either buy or die. So we just take a really simple webinar funnel back in the day, right? You run an ad, a certain number of people click. Certain number of people hit the landing page, register. Certain number of people who register hit the thank you page and watch the video. Certain number of people who hit the video apply. A certain number of people who apply book a call. A certain number of people who book a call show. And a certain number of people who show buy. And how most marketers have taught us that we should run funnels is once it's profitable, we just keep adding more and more and more ad spend. But the problem is at scale, profitability goes down, right? Because numbers don't work in a linear fashion. And so just because you spend $100 and you're profitable doesn't mean you spend $10,000 and be the same level of profit. And so this is where lead efficiency and lead nurture becomes such a huge uh, focus. So I did a post yesterday on how I've made $7.5 million from an audience of only 7,500 people, which is insane. The person I sat with down with this week is making less money than me of 2 million YouTube subscribers. And it's wickedly, wickedly engaged. And it comes down to your ecosystem of acquisition, how you get clients and how you nurture them and follow them up. And so I'm sharing all of this in the context of ads because I would prefer that someone A, has an organic machine that is in the background with you adding friends on Facebook or LinkedIn or or um, or creating shareworthy content on Instagram. Reels are really, really good for this. If you have a, a good mix of reels, I'm getting kind of 10 to 15 new followers a day organically on Instagram right now, just through reels. So you want that to be a core part of your business so that ads don't become the sole part so that if your ad account gets shut down, your business ceases to exist, right? That's crazy. So one of the things that I would suggest is when it comes to ads, bringing people into an ecosystem of content. So if you're bringing people into an email list, making sure that your email list is driving people towards longer forms of content, right? If you're bringing people into an Instagram uh, account, like you're running follow ads on Instagram, that absolutely crushes. But the focus should not just be on now buyers. It should be on nurturing people over the long term. Because if you get 100 followers and you get one client, it's not just that you should get 100 more followers and get another client. It's that you should figure out what you're doing with the 99 who didn't buy today. 
And that's where content and email, specifically YouTube and email, uh, really come into play. And so I don't know if there's anything more specific, Cass, that you wanted to ask about ads, but that would be my advice is that when you're running ads, it should be in the context of a nurture content ecosystem that allows you to not just create a funnel with leads either buy or die, but you're nurturing the people who are not now buyers. So your ads are more efficient over the long term. One, one question, Dan, I, I should know the answer to this because I'm in the group, but with your community thing, what what level are you saying you recommend people get to organically before they even think about it? Is it 30? It's around 30. And it's it's yeah. not a black and white answer. We have right. clients who came in day one running ads because they had some cash. What I would say is that the things you really want to be thinking about is where is your recurring revenue? Where is your profit? And um, where is your cash in the bank? You don't want to be running ads from a place where you need it to work instantly or else you go broke because that creates such a yuck energy within the marketing and sales process. So I would say it's kind of a revenue level. Why I also like that revenue level is if you've got there organically, it means that your messaging and your offer are tight. Right. So really the only people I've seen scale from ads earlier than that with success was they already were in the game in another model or another business and they already had skills. Getting ads to work at scale is really hard because you're having to capture people's attention in a really concise way. And if you don't have your messaging dialed in, you're rambling, you're raving, you don't really know what's going to work. Whereas like if I was to launch cold ads right now, my messaging would be so super tight because I'm making so much money off my messaging organically that I'm just amplifying that messaging paid because ads aren't a magic bullet. They're an amplifier, they're a microphone right? And so that's why getting to a certain revenue level is both helpful, not from a, just a cash perspective, but because you have proof of concept around messaging and offer. Chris, we may have touched on that as part of that conversation, but uh, what about brand awareness ads, boost eyeballs instead of sales? Yeah. So that's what Dan's talking about in terms of the IG. Um, yeah. As, yeah, as I, he was talking, I was, I was tight with the question. I was like, is it getting answered right now? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll just add this real quick. Uh, Retargeting ads are such an underrated tool. So I don't think about brand awareness like I'm just pushing my brand out into the cold audience and I am just hoping that they do something with it. If you were to run ads to your existing audience, let's say you have an email list of a thousand people. If you were to run an ad that is your best piece of content to that audience with no call to action, that's a really powerful nurturing mechanism. So what I do regularly, and I'm going to do more and more of, is if you're in my warm audience, you will not only see my organic content, you will see my paid content, and my paid content will have no CTA because those people are already on my list. They're already connected to me on Facebook. They're already on the YouTube channel. I already know that. That's how I'm targeting them in the first place. But when you literally just show up in people's uh, newsfeed with value, people are confused. I don't get it. Where's the, where's the button to click? And all you're doing is giving value. That absolutely comes back to you. And the beautiful thing about retargeting ads is we're talking about such small budgets because it's a much smaller audience. So I would say like, I'm a huge advocate of even if you've built your audience organically to if you're going to start running ads, just start retargeting ads. Of course, you can have CTAs in there because they're your warmest audience as well. But mixing it up with content with no CTA is a really powerful way to build even more trust. Cool. Thank um, you. Just a quick tactical question on on the Facebook side of retargeting. Who do you typically re with those? Because I remember when I started with you, you were that was part of it. You were running those, you know, like you had the video of you at the Louvre and you were doing the remarketing, yeah, yeah, like the like that kind of shit. Who are you remarketing in that case? Is that like your email list? Um, so here's what's really interesting. So this is so back in 2020 when I launched this program uh, for the first time. We Our mechanism was called the hybrid method because you could build your audience organically. So you could build your friends list. And then there was a secret ninja way 
that no one was talking about that I found you could run ads to your friends list on Facebook. They took that away for two years. I think they've just brought that back. So if you go, so my profile is in professional mode. So if I boost this post, for example, um, let's just go, let me find boost post, right? If I go in here, one of the audiences that you can choose is people who follow your profile. So you can now build an audience. You can add people every day. You can have your audience organically building, and then you can retarget them if, you're, if your Facebook profile is in professional mode by running ads uh, like this. So you can run real ads with no calls to action. You can run, you can boost posts. The beautiful thing about both is the biggest thing when it comes to ads is you're running ads and everyone's like, who's this dick in my newsfeed? right? And it's got zero likes and zero comments. And the only comments are from trolls. What's beautiful about boosting is it takes your social engagement with the ad. Mm. So if you did a post that did really well and you boost it, now you're less likely to get a bunch of trolls because you already have a bunch of people who know, like, and trust you engaging with the ad, which makes the ad perform even better. I think that'd be a good place for for a few folks here to to start probably. Uh, I think that's, boost, that's boosting from profile, Chris. Profile in professional mode. Yep. Is that linked to, we're getting, we're getting in the weeds here, but um, okay. is that linked account? to, yeah, is that linked to the personal no. ad account or the biz manager? No, no. And neither. Neither. So you, so you can't run ads for your profile in professional mode from the ads manager. You can only run it from the profile. Cause I know when I boost posts on Instagram, it still shows up in my business. Instagram's manager. different. Yeah. yeah Instagram's oh, right. different. Okay, right, 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 this right. is its own beast. Yeah. Okay. Cause for I, whatever I reason they haven't integrated that. It's dead. My personal ad account is dead. So my boosting is unavailable. So I wonder if that's, um, anyway. We can, we can talk about that shit later. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great idea. I, I, I remember seeing, like when I jumped into your thing, I, I watched that Louvre content video. Yeah. Um, and there was like another one of you like walking through a market or something. And I saw that shit like over it. It's just a great reminder. And I don't know how much you were spending back then, but my guess is it was not small, much. Small, bro. Small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Couple of bucks. Yeah, it's, that's the beauty of retargeting ads. Is it's just like I'm um, so so uh, so cheap, relatively speaking. Oh, sick! By Thanks the way, guys, I just put the business manager and ad account best practices in the chat. It's like a six page Google Doc. Amazing. Thanks for doing that. Appreciate um, it. So I might lob one question out, and then off the back of that, if any quick fire questions pop up, and we'll try wrap up in the next like ten. Um, where do you see this industry going? This coaching, you know consulting internet marketing space it's obviously undergone change there's uncertainty in certain parts of the world like where do you, where, where do you see it all going and what do you think right now is like a non-negotiable that people have to be doing and if they don't do it they're going to get kicked in the ass over the next couple of years let's start with the big question where is it going firstly i am so optimistic about the future right so, so I am realistic about the current reality of like the world is about to melt down. So if I could just go on a rant for 30 seconds, okay. now is the time to be conservative with your uh, expenses and wise with your investments, right? Both on the business and personal front. So I won't stop investing in mentors. I'm not going to cut all of my team and I don't have much team, but you know, cut all my expenses. But now is the time to like really double down, increasing profit, recurring revenue, cash in the bank. I think the economy is about to melt down like we've never seen. And you don't have to take my word for it. Just search dudes like Ray Dalio on YouTube talking about it. He's one of the biggest hedge fund managers in the world. It, it's it's going to get really ugly. So optimistic, short-term and long-term. Realistic, short-term, right? It's going to be brutal. Now, here's what's really important. Uh, I think this time over the next couple of years is going to wipe out a stack of coaching and consulting businesses who don't have personal brands, don't have audiences, don't have a unique difference. They're the same, same coaches. They're the chat GPT coaches, which by the way, chat GPT is an amazing tool. 
but you should not be creating content that could be written by AI, right? And and I just think that's a filter for kind of everything you do. You don't want to be a replica of someone else. You want to be the Monet. You want to be the, the carving of David for who you are, right? And so I'm so optimistic with this because the education system that we grew up through is so broken and so faulty. It's not even, it's not even funny. People can go to a university right now and learn digital marketing and be learning things about platforms that have not been true for years, right? You're not going there and learning short form content strategies that's working right now. You're learning about like freaking five years ago, email marketing tactics, 10 years ago, how to build a website. And so it puts so much demand on people like us to educate other people. And so the best way to think about what it is you do is rather than us living in this box of we're a coach, we're a consultant, we're an agency owner, we are value creators and we run an education business, right? And so our goal is to educate as many people as possible with our passions, with our story, with our skill set as an alternative to the traditional path of people wasting insane amounts of money to get outdated information, no support and no guarantee at the end of it. So I'm so optimistic because the more we take our job seriously and we stop thinking about just Facebook profiles and Instagrams and boosting stuff and we actually go, I am an education business owner and my job is to take this seriously so people who are currently not even in our space, but they will be in six months, 12 months, six years, take me seriously, is we really don't understand that so much of the wave of the population is going to be looking for alternative forms of education rather than traditional, which if we take our job seriously, they'll look to people like us. And if we build personal brands, then we can continue to build trust with people as this wave of attention comes online in the same way that people are still living in dollars and cents and bank accounts and more and more people are looking to crypto, right? It's the same wave of transition and um, uh, evolution in the education space. So I'm so bullish, I'm so optimistic, but I do think that same, same coaches and consultants are gonna be wiped out and they're gonna be replaced by personal brands. And I think this is true of every major uh, product line in the world. If you think about who here is familiar with Prime Energy and Logan Paul and KSI, they have a real shot at deplatforming Gatorade as the number one sports drink in the world. They built a personal brand and now they're selling to the audience. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers because he hasn't published them, but Mr. Beast and his chocolate company will do north of $200 million this year in their second year in business. So building a personal brand and then creating products or services associated with that brand is the future. So I think we're going to go into grocery stores in 10 years time and almost every product will have someone, some influencer's face on it. And so rather than us going like, which is my favorite chocolate, we're going to be buying from connection. Obviously the product has to be good, but we're going to be buying from the authority and the trust that we've built with that person's personal brand, right? If Casey Neistat was to release a camera today, it would go insane because we trust Casey. We trust his skill with filmmaking. So we would rather work with Casey Neistat and his camera, knowing who he is and his how he has our best interests at heart versus a faceless, nameless Canon, Sony, you know, Lumiere and all those types of things. And so I think the personal brand space is really interesting. And so I think everyone needs to be investing time into content. And I just can't believe how long it took me to take Gary V's advice seriously. I put out two vlogs six years ago, no, seven years ago. I was like, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to get a film guy. I was still the youth pastor at the time, but I was speaking at conferences and schools and things like that. It then took me Six more years from that time to actually go, wait a minute, I should probably take this seriously. And that's been this year. And so in the last few weeks, I've gone from, uh, in the last uh, six weeks, sorry, I've gone from 10 pieces of content a week 
to 60 pieces of content a week, right? Across different platforms. We are in the midst of going from two YouTube videos a week to four YouTube videos a week in the next 30 days. So my plan over the next year is I'm going to build out my team again, not to a team of 13, keep it lean and simple, but I'm going to build out a content army like the Avengers. And I'm going to be anywhere and everywhere. And then the majority of my time is going to be spent on client for marketing, sorry, content for marketing and content for clients. And that's really where I see the industry going and where I'm personally focusing my time and energy. Awesome. Love it. Did that make sense? 100%. Yeah. Um, creating demand, creating a, creating your world. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of fun too. It's, it's heaps of fun. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is you don't need a big audience or a lot of clients to make money if you're efficient in marketing and model. Yeah. It's insane. I'll make a million dollars profit this year. I work with about 60 clients. Yeah. 20 something a one-to-one. -one. The rest are in group. I deliver about six or seven hours a week. Like it's insane when you actually focus on making it efficient, but most people don't. They just go for high volume. They churn clients like crazy. They create funnels where leads either buy or die. But when you focus on efficiency, you need very small audience to make a lot of money and you need very few clients to make that money. Hopefully you guys can see there's a lot of similarities about what kind of Dan and I talk about. Um, client retention, the ecosystem, how we're selling. Um, so I think that was uh, super, super valuable. Um, dude, really appreciate you coming in and, and hanging out and, and sharing those um, those couple of things that you did as well. It's been a joy, dude. Thanks so much for having me. Guys, thanks for being uh, engaging and attentive. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you around the interwebs. Sending you guys much love. Cheers, folks. I'll thanks, see you guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of Scale School. I hope you found something valuable in today's episode. If you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and do that so you can be notified every time we drop future episodes. And if you and I have not already connected, feel free to track me down on any one of the social media platforms. My big head and smiling face are no doubt gonna be there. And you can just search my name, Dan Bolton, and we can connect there. But thank you again for tuning in and I'll see you in a future episode.